Section 14 of the Roman Triumvirates by Charles Merivale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7 The Civil War, Battle of Pharsalia, Death of Pompeius, Death of Cato, Part 1. The tribunes had quitted the city on the night of January 6th, 49 BC, revised calendar. The consuls thereupon convoked the Senate in the temple of Bologna, which lay outside the walls, in order to enable Pompeius to attend their meeting and virtually to control it. Their favored leader had attained the object of his ambition. The Republic had thrown herself at his feet. New levies were commanded throughout Italy. Favonius petulantly urged him to stamp his foot and evoked armed legions from the soil but the wary veteran determined to leave in spain the large forces which he had collected in his province to act as a check upon caesar in his rear both he and the chiefs of his party still clung to the idea that their foe would be betrayed by disaffection in his own ranks they were aware perhaps that his lieutenant labienus was about to desert him and they hoped that many others would follow his example they were still convinced that the clouds of danger would disperse and assigned magistracies and provinces among themselves and their adherents with reckless disregard even of the due forms of law but pompeius continued to make preparations for a lengthened conflict arms and money were collected by forced contributions italy was placed under military perquisition her temples were rifled of their treasures the report of these tumultuary proceedings reached caesar at ravenna where his plans were already matured he harangued the soldiers of the single legion which he had there with him explained his wrongs to the full satisfaction of their blunt understandings and called upon them to draw their swords and hasten to redress them on the morning of the fifteenth he sent forward some cohorts to the rubicon the frontier stream of his province throughout the day he presented himself at a public spectacle invited company to his table and entertained them with his usual affability at sunset he made an excuse for a brief absence and hastened with a few attendants to overtake his soldiers the romans signalized the famous passage of the rubicon with various reputed marvels but the act which decided the fate of rome for so many centuries was quickly and quietly accomplished on the morrow the proconsul of gaul appeared in arms before ariminum as an invader of italy the gauls were marching upon rome the frontier garrison opened its gates in terror it was here that the tribunes met him in their flight from rome but what should have detained him ten days on their journey does not clearly appear from these quarters caesar issued his orders for the movement of his troops one legion reached him within a fortnight another in the course of the next month for the moment however his whole force was hardly six thousand strong while his opponents had at least three times that number actually in hand but pompeius it seemed was struck with consternation together with all his party at these rapid movements they were after all taken by surprise and utterly unmanned the proscriptions of marius 
the slaughter of the Elia, the burning of the city by the Gauls, such were the horrors that seized on their imaginations and unnerved them for the encounter. Pompeius betook himself to the Appian Way, and magistrates and nobles streamed through the gates and pressed after him to the southward. His forces, he declared, were unequal to the contest. Let all good citizens follow him to a place of security. At Capua he halted, and there it was found that the consuls had carried away the keys of the temple of Saturn, but had left the treasure of the state behind them. Pompeius bade them fly back and fetch it, but they hesitated and asked for an escort. He could not spare a man. The gladiators in keeping at Capua required a large force to watch them. It was not till these dangerous swordsmen were broken up into small parties and lodged in security that the two legions which kept guard over them could be utilized for more active service. Meanwhile there was some pretense at negotiation, but Pompeius, encouraged by the defection of Labienus, insisted that Caesar should lay down his arms while Caesar no less peremptorily demanded that if one surrendered his command, the other should do likewise. But Caesar advanced. Aretium, Iguvium, Oximum promptly received him. The road to Rome lay open to him. But when he heard that his adversaries were crossing from Capua to the upper coast, he turned to the left and threw himself on the strong central position of Corfinium, where Pompeius had left a detachment to hold him in check. Domitius Ahenobarbus, one of the boldest and most sanguine of the party, had insisted that this place at least should not be abandoned. But to leave it unsupported was equivalent to abandoning it. Domitius preferred to stand a siege, but his soldiers delivered up the place to the assailant as soon as he appeared before it. Domitius himself fell into the victor's hands but Caesar well knew the advantage of making a signal example of clemency, and not only spared the captive's life, but allowed him his freedom also. Politic as Caesar's forbearance was, it accorded doubtless with his natural temper. Barbarous as he had shown himself in contest with the enemies of the state, he was always sparing of the blood of citizens. He could be not forbearing only, but generous. The beaten soldiers joined his standard with alacrity. The people of the country flocked around him. They were dismayed by the proclamations of Pompeius, who threatened the severest measures against all who assisted or countenanced his enemy. Cicero, who was deeply mortified at his chief's abandonment of the city, murmured with disgust at these impolitic menaces. Pompeius charged him to relinquish Capua, where he had been entrusted with a command, and join him in Apulia. He was loath to withdraw further from the city, and the road, it seems, was no longer open. From Lucaria, Pompeius led the consuls and magistrates to the port of Brundisium. There he had already secured a number of transports, and from thence he immediately dispatched several legions to Epirus. To remain himself behind and embark with the last of his division was the only duty of a general that he consented to perform. Caesar, hastening from Corfinium, was already at the gates, but he was destitute of vessels and the sea was open to the transports 
which were returning to bear away the remnant of the fugitives he made a vigorous attempt to throw a mole across the mouth of the harbour but in this operation he was baffled and pompeius effected his escape the situation was now completely reversed pompeius and caesar had exchanged places the government of rome had emigrated to a foreign shore the assailant reigned supreme throughout italy and had only to show himself in the city to be received with acclamations the senators at the bidding of their champion had thrown themselves upon the support of subjects or strangers while still possessed of large armies and abundant resources in the west they had preferred to secure their position in the opposite quarter of the empire they carried with them all the levies which they had made from roman citizens with several complete legions and were accompanied by the great mass of the ruling classes the knights and the publicani whose pecuniary interests were bound up with lands and cities in the eastern provinces and they demanded aid from all the dependent sovereigns who lined the frontiers of greece and asia minor the petty kings of thrace of galatia of cappadocia and others who could furnish ample military supplies as well as dense crowds of well-equipped though ill-trained warriors they were protected moreover from any sudden attack by a numerous fleet which after transporting them across the adriatic could guard the passage against the assailant should he threaten to pursue them caesar himself was utterly unprovided with ships or maritime resources the great naval powers of the mediterranean rhodes and egypt were attached by special bonds to the interests of pompeius he had not calculated on having to pursue the senate on the ocean nevertheless the moral weight lay on the side of caesar and this soon appeared to be preponderant the flight of pompeius was viewed with disgust and alarm by a large section of his own supporters cato took the same step only as a frightful necessity cicero shrank from it and returned to rome to abide the progress of events many senators and other men of consequence followed his example public men and magnates who possessed the stake in the country were terrified at the violent language of the fugitives who threatened to return as conquerors and tyrants pompeius was wont to exclaim sulla could do this and that why should not i sulla had brought his legions from the east and made himself dictator by massacre his pupil and successor might do the like confiscation plunder and proscription were in the mouths of his most rabid followers such as bibulus favonius labienus and lentulus nor was the state of things secure at rome itself the government was dissolved the consuls and higher magistrates had fled from the forum the laws were in abeyance and a reign of anarchy seemed impending the domestic warfare of the debtors and creditors which had so often brought the republic to the verge of ruin which had been arrested by the overthrow of catalina and with difficulty kept under by the authority and the armed forces of pompeius was about to blaze out again every day of the interregnum was fraught with infinite peril caesar was not in a position to pursue pompeius but had he been so it would have been necessary for him to abandon the pursuit till he had secured the basis of his power at home 
he had driven his enemies out of Italy in sixty days. He now turned promptly back, crossed the Apennines, and presented himself almost unattended in the city. The people high and low received him joyfully, for he brought them the pledge of security at least for the day, and they had almost ceased through their long period of anxiety and despair to look forward to the morrow. Thus possessed of the centre of his enemy's position, the conqueror might determine more at leisure on which wing of their forces he should first throw himself. In the absence of the civil magistrates, he could only impose a military government on the city, and this was cheerfully accepted. A large donative gratified his soldiers, a liberal gratuity to every citizen delighted the populace but he carefully abstained from private spoliation for the discharge of these sums he bethought himself of the treasure which the consuls had forgotten to carry away and ordered the temple of saturn to be thrown open to him lucius metellus one of the tribunes was on the spot and had the courage to interpose his inviolable person caesar pushed him scornfully aside he addressed the people reminding them that the precious store was reserved as a sacred deposit for repelling a gallic invasion it was believed to comprise the actual ingots of gold which rome had paid to brennus as the ransom of the city and which camillus had wrested again from the barbarians at the point of the sword no fear henceforth he cried of a gallic invasion i have subdued the gauls but the pompeian party had yet another weapon in store which might make the position of their adversary untenable the nearest granaries of the city sardinia sicily and africa were all held at the moment by their own officers while egypt itself was very closely connected with their chief and his interests caesar's first care now was to establish his power in the neighbouring islands a legion which he promptly dispatched to sardinia was received by the inhabitants with open arms while the garrison of the senate was ignominiously expelled from it cato who had charge of sicily was obliged to abandon his post as soon as curio appeared in sight africa still remained to conquer but curio when he transported his forces to the continent was encountered by the pompeian lieutenant varus with the Numidian chieftain Juba at his side, and was routed and slain. This important province was thus left in the hands of the Senate, but the immediate needs of the city were now adequately supplied. Meanwhile Caesar, having left Rome in the keeping of Aemilius Lepidus, a noble of high position, whose descent and connections attached him to his cause, and the Italian peninsula, under the command of his devoted follower, Marcus Antonius, had set off in person for Spain. I go, he said, to encounter an army without a general. I shall return to attack a general without an army. The three Iberian provinces were held by good and veteran soldiers, but were commanded by Varro, Afranius, and Petraeus, a man of letters, a man of fashion, and a stiff regimental officer. Caesar might hope to dispatch them all quickly, but he was detained by the defection of Massilia, which lay on his route, and now shut its gates against him at the instigation of Domitius, the same Pompeian officer whom he had so recently spared at Corfinium. 
this important city held as it were the keys of the transalpine province of which it was the principal emporium it was necessary to reduce it at any sacrifice of time and resources but caesar left three legions to invest it while he passed by it himself and pushed on crossing the pyrenees and throwing himself upon the pompeian forces which held the line of the ebro the events of the brief and spirited campaign which followed are told in the concise and nervous narrative of the conqueror who succeeded after suffering great hardships from flood and famine and displaying singular ability and fruitfulness of resource in reducing his opponents to submission the pompeian soldiers for the most part took service under him once more afranius and petraeus with their principal officers were allowed to go free from alerda caesar marched swiftly southward and easily brought varro to terms at cordoba there he found a store of treasure already accumulated for the campaign against him and returned from his adventurous expedition reinforced with fresh supplies both of men and money the massilians made no further resistance domitius escaped and rejoined pompeius in epirus and added another element of rashness and violence to his noisy and discordant camp but caesar had effected the reduction of the west at this moment he might have declared himself the acknowledged sovereign of one half of the empire End of section fourteen